Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are my journals out loud, mostly. Uh, today is, I should be posting this, on Tuesday, December 5th, 2023. And we're going to dive into a topic that I have already made some podcasts for, but I haven't published them. Uh, I'm going to try again. Uh, but before we run down that road... Uh, I want to just do a quick thank you for those of you who pitched in for the monthly uh, fundraiser for me. Thank you. And secondly, uh, just do a second pitch for the gratitude journal. If you haven't listened or looked at uh, the podcast on the previous, the last day of November, it's the one before this, uh, I just sort of stumbled on this idea that I'm trying to commit to for this month, and that is to really focus on what I'm grateful for, not just the general things, but the specific things that we still have in this world, you know, like a supply chain, uh, access to food, uh, access to dog food, because that's being chowed through at a very quick pace. So it's just a moment to really wind the year down from a place of gratitude, as opposed to the raging terror that is rising in the horizon for so many of us. Uh, and thirdly, uh, I want to say if you're new, the purpose of these podcasts really are about what I call wired for danger. Uh, I'm trying to come up with a very simple, clear definition that can be repeated. And right now, that's really leaning towards this uh, statement of how to find, uh, you know, that we are the chaos and uh, how to understand the chaos within us and to find the power within the calm. And the reason why I think this is so important is that uh, we're seeing a rise in chaos and that's directly being correlated to a rise in people that I refer to as wired for danger. Uh, but it isn't just those of us who are wired for danger, meaning you know, your nervous system is responding with fight to the injustices, to the fear, uh, to the tragedies, to the events that are being unfolded around us. Uh, and Wired for Danger has an extremely strong drive for injustice. Uh, that, I would say, is a masculine energy, and it is highly activated when the injustice becomes severe and or personal. So at some point, it's just you can't look at it anymore. And we're seeing whistleblowers come out. And I saw a picture I wanted to just... Uh, if you haven't seen this, I don't have it posted below, but if you're not familiar with Barry Young from New Zealand, he is someone who is a scientist. He is a computer nerd, basically. He loves data. He loves science. And he put together some data about New Zealand that is very, very powerful and very incriminating to quote unquote evil. You know, those that have perpetrated something are being exposed. And that, you know, lights a fire to push that down, to fight against those who are trying to fight against you. And what was so powerful about this moment with him is I didn't watch the whole interview and I mostly just heard it, but I caught two brief images. And the first one was when he was talking in the interview with the 
the investigative reporter, and he just seems like a very nice, gentle, scientific, nerd kind of guy. His body language was that, his dress, his shoulders were hunched. Uh, He was crying, not because of weakness, but because of pain about the wild injustice that had occurred. Uh, And the next image, you know, 24 hours later, he's in prison. They've arrested him. They are charging him, you know, with revealing information. And the picture that came out, it's not even, doesn't even look like the same man. It is a guy who is shoulders are back. And there is a complete and total shift in his energy. And it is powerful and it is intense and it is a don't F with me energy. It isn't the face of a nerd. It's the face of a warrior. And it was reported in the uh, that there was a crowd in his sentencing. He was denied bail. I think they finally put him out on bail, but at the time, and they he screamed freedom and the crowd erupted. And it's similar to that uh, Braveheart moment, you know, when he screams freedom at the end of that scene where they're disemboweling him. And uh, it's this massive transformation. And it really got me thinking about uh, what that is. There's just this intensity and this clarity that comes when you are in the fight mode that transforms into a sense of knowingness. And it's it's the statement that I have in that previous intro that I don't play anymore because it's too long, but it's so true. For those who are wired for danger, there's no reason to live, you have no reason to live for until you have a reason to die for. And that's really what the truth is. Whether it's true or not isn't the point. It's that energy within yourself that peaks that is so powerful, everything else drops away. All the fear drops away. Uh, It's an unsustainable moment. It is an incredibly powerful moment. It is a moment of pure focus, pure clarity, intensity. It's all that push energy that you collect back within yourself and you just know. And that doesn't mean, you know, if you get stabbed or beaten or tortured or raped or whatever, that you're not going to cry and it's not going to hurt. It's a peak moment that is so powerful that it really is unsustainable. And the same is true for what we call the love of God. If you've ever had access to that pure love of God... Uh, people talk about it all the time in their near-death experiences. Uh, I think that's the bliss people refer to when they get into a heightened uh, awareness of prayer or meditation. It's so intense. It's so complete. It's so absolute that you know it as the truth. And it's without question. It's without curiosity. It's without fear or anger or anything. It just is. It's this incredibly powerful moment. Uh, And I remember, you know, the first time that happened to me, uh, I thought, wow, you know, that, that is why people don't want to come back. That is why people will leave 
you know, their children behind because there's such knowledge and power and intensity in that love of God feeling, you know, that's when romance, male, female relationships ended for me in that it never felt, it's not as, it's not the same. There's nothing that matches the love of God. And it's different than this other energy that I'm talking about in this peak moment of powerful truth. And I've been thinking a lot about that because not everybody is going to understand what I am talking about. And it's a path that we move towards, but neither one of those levels of experience are sustainable. Uh, And we spend most of the rest of our life coming and going um, all over the place. Nobody can hold any of those intense moments. Uh, In the same way, you cannot hold an intense rage forever. Uh, In the same way, you can't hold an intense creative moment forever. Uh, You can't hold a sad moment forever. You can't hold a laughter forever. So emotion, feeling, energy, intensity is is in motion. It is not something that is uh, sustainable indefinitely. You know, there's there's teachings saying that, you know, if you... You can connect with the vibration of God, but the physical body can't contain it and you would just break your body apart. You do not physically have the capacity to hold the frequency of God because it's too intense for more than, you know, just periods of time. It cannot be sustained within the physical body. Now, once you've felt that, Everything else is more difficult because now you've experienced what you feel and know to be truth, whether it's this uh, facing your fear truth or whether it's connecting with all that is as love truth. And again, you know, that's us banging around in between it all. But I bring up those two things because uh, I was able to kind of understand for myself the difference and I... You know, I I titled this talk, The Difference Between, you know, Men and Women Who Are Wired for Danger, because uh, I've been having a a lot of aha moments. In fact, I've been having so many, I can't even really communicate them. It's like this huge jumble that's inside of me. And there's all this push inside that I want to get these ideas out. Uh, And this terrible awareness that this is where I fall apart because it's too much information. I understand it all as one big thing and it takes a while for me to sort it out, to communicate it in a linear, simplistic way. And nobody's asking for this information. But I've been listening to, you know, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, you know, I like podcasts because for my ADHD brain, it, it captures, uh, you know, the part of my brain that needs to be occupied so that I can do some of the grunt work that's so difficult for me to do because of the way my brain is wired. It's happy in the abstract and it struggles, you know, with the day-to-day boring stuff. And, So I've usually got something running 
that I can listen to to occupy so I can get this boring stuff done. Not that there's any end to the boring stuff, right? And it's been almost all men. And I listen to the women's history also and women's stories, but there's there's something happening right now and you know men are starting to have a deeper conversation so it's not just about the adventure or the experience or the success they're starting to have the internal dialogue out loud and what i'm hearing with these wired for danger men is chaos and calm it is these conversations that are exactly what i've been trying to communicate and i'm like Oh, I'm so excited because I'm like, I'm not crazy. These are This is how other people are interpreting the same ideas that I'm talking about. But at the same time, I am becoming more and more aware how different we are as men and women in both, you know, the wire for danger context and the greater context. And uh, I'm listening to them. And I'm getting really, really excited. Uh, And as I've shared with you before, you know, I've had this awareness, this this aha moment where, uh, you know, men don't respect women's information in the same way they respect it with other men. It doesn't mean they can't eventually get to it. It doesn't mean that there's no value. And it doesn't mean that you aren't listening you know, but when I read or heard, I forget, uh, this uh, fact, not a, not a wish, not a thought, not a theory, this fact, men process women's voices in the part of the brain that is musical. And men's voices are processed in a different part of the brain. And it is so much easier for men to listen to other men than it is for them to listen to women. And when they're listening to women, who even knows what you guys are hearing? You know, I've shared before, the end of many relationships came when I asked the man, what did you hear me just say? And not in an accusatory way, but because I wanted to hear what they heard me say. And I was shocked by what came back. In fact, it was the end of most relationships because what was being communicated back to me had nothing to do with what I had just said out loud. You know, it had everything to do with their filter, their issue, wherever they were, you know, emotionally and blah, blah, blah. But it was so out of alignment with what I had been trying to communicate, it was devastating. I mean, how do you communicate with someone who literally isn't hearing what you say? And, you know, that was one of those moments where I'm, you know, I don't know how to move forward with that idea. And as I'm listening to these men speak about these wired for danger ideas, you know, I've also been aware that there's other things at play that do not exist in the women's world. And, uh, and one of those is this need to be within hierarchy. And men in their tribal world, you know, operated in groups, and that group divides into hierarchy. And I was listening to Laird Hamilton, who's like the poster boy for Wired for Danger. 
and uh, and I've been listening to him because he's using these words chaos and calm. Uh, he's saying things that are incorrect, like everybody's the same. Everybody would be happy riding a wave and everybody is an addict. And that is so not true. Uh, we have, you know, the work of Dr. Daniel Amen. I listened to him. 250,000 brain scans later, massive differences between how our brains are wired, how our brains are functioning, and how massive differences between men and women's brains there are. And you know, I don't know where the line between uh, nature, how you were born, and nurture, you know, how life triggers you, because so many people who are in this wire for danger category have had trauma. Uh, you know, there's a th the, the psychology is, oh, the trauma triggered these defensive responses. Or, you know, you're born this way and it became the trauma activated them so that they worked better. You know, I don't know. And I'll talk about that more on another day. But but the point being is there's massive differences in all of us. There's no hard line. There is only degrees. There's only shades of gray everywhere. And so when we're navigating the ideas that I'm talking about, they're not definitive. They're more like soft borders, right? So uh, I believe there's a difference between those who are wired for danger and those who are more wired for flight and wired for freeze. But we have all three. And I started with that story about Barry Young because he does not look like anybody who's wired for danger. I don't know him, so I could be wrong. But everybody is capable of all three responses. That's how we move in the world is we're moving through these basic push-pull-pause energies that are filtered through experience. And I'm only calling them nervous system response because that is the mimic, that is the physiological, the biology response system that we have a language for. Uh, you know, we divide things in our brain between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Uh, we activate the sympathetic for survival and we activate uh, of danger to survive danger. And we activate the parasympathetic to survive the rest of the time. We need both. And anybody who sits in one and the other with the exclusion of the other will die because you have to be able to navigate the world of survival using the best stress response you have at the time. You know, if it's to freeze up and camouflage, if it's to run away or it's to fight back, uh, you know, each situation has a response, but I still believe that we are wired for a primary response because that is the best way for the human species to survive. Now, the second piece of that is this higher level of uh, what is what purpose as humans does this serve us? It's more of an emotional, spiritual question. But the point being, you know, I'm listening to Laird Hamilton, and he's the poster, like I said, he's the poster boy for this Wired for Danger. And, you know, I listened to him through three interviews. I got a fourth one because I'm fascinated with this idea now. I mean, I'm having my idea validated. So, uh, and the first guy, it was a pretty equal conversation. The second guy, I couldn't even listen to him because he was so 
not wired for danger. He was so in his feminine energy. It was whether it was real or not, it was painful. I couldn't listen to him. The third guy was trying to match his uh, prowess with Laird Hamilton. But at the end, he said some fascinating things and it validated everything that I had been feeling in that interview process and that he, it was under his breath, but he said, well, you know, you're the alpha and I'm, he said, well, I'm clearly beta, meaning that he knew that Laird Hamilton was the alpha in that pack of two. And he spoke about his energy like a shark. He says, it's like you're a shark. I feel like I'm in the room with an alpha predator, but I don't feel threatened. You know, I can see that you have great ability to be compassionate and gentle. And so many of this male uh, hierarchy is run by those who are wired for danger. They are the hyper alpha predators. Now you can use that for good, right? You can dig out the bad guy or you can use that for evil or you can be, you know, an adrenaline junkie and use it to battle nature, uh, you know, which is what he does. His thing is in the water. He talked about his childhood and that he didn't really like to fight. He liked to do the the excitement for him was the mastery of the waves. But there's this moment that just so defines what I'm talking about. And he, uh, it was a unplanned moment where the waves came in and they were over a hundred feet. This is a once in a lifetime wave, right? And if you are uh, a surfer and you are a wired for danger surfer, this is a moment that is once in a lifetime. And him and his friend are out there surfing these. And at some point, you know, they both get hammered and he, uh, his friend, he can't find him. He pulls him up. He's got, you know, he's, he's got all these injuries. Uh, and so he, you know, does some things to, he swims out, gets the jet ski, takes, uh, his, his wetsuit off, ties a tourniquet. So he's remaining calm in the chaos to, to take care of this guy. Uh, the helicopter goes by. Somehow they get, you know, rescued and they're on the shore and the, the medical people are coming to take over. Some guy throws him a pair of shorts so he can put some pants on because he's running onto the beach naked. And he turns to go back out. He makes the decision after his friend just about died. He just about could have died to go back out into these waves. And he's telling the interviewer guy, well, you know, I had to, like, this is a once in a lifetime wave. Now, the rest of, so much of the rest of the conversation is about him being a husband and a father and how that's the most important thing. And there's nothing more painful than a broken heart, you know, in my relationship. And, you know, Gabrielle Reese, who's this volleyball player, who's, uh, you know, pretty strong woman. So she's a good match for him. But, uh, but he still, he got up and went back in the water. And to me, that's the essence of this is that the drive is not the relationship. The drive is not what most people are driven by. The drive is to go back into the danger. And most people don't have that drive. And he doesn't even have the self-awareness that in that moment he chose 
his mission to master the wave before his family. And for men, that is how most wire for danger men operate in the world. The family is secondary. And most men can have families because women are doing all the work. You know, they're having the babies, they're taking care of the home. They can do that stuff. Oh, you know, one, another guy and something else I was listening to said, oh, you know, the minute you have a child, your provide and your protect instinct kick into gear. But everything about these guys' stories is not that. It's about the mission. And as a man with a mission, we understand that within the context of this world. But for women, having the mission and uh, taking priority over the relationship, that isn't something that we know what to do with. And many, many people, men and women, you know, get married and have families. And, you know, the children will explain why that wasn't, you know, the best way to grow up. Because mom or dad or both were never there because they were out on the mission. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that, you know, there's a difference between how we function in the world as wired for danger men and women. There are some overlaps in how our brains are wired for this fear response to fight as our primary instinct. But we also have different drives in other, other ways that our brains work. And, you know, one of the most distinctive that I'm observing is the male need to be hierarchical and to have alpha status. There's lots of stuff on the internet about that. And a lot of these alpha guys are wired for danger telling their stories. And a lot of non-alpha guys are listening with wishful thinking. And I'm listening and I can totally relate to the alpha guys. Uh, I, but I don't want to be in a hierarchy. I don't like the pissing contest. And one of the reasons that I don't like to even talk with men much anymore, other than, you know, fixing things or problem solving, is that within that conversation, there's a constant negotiation. Most of it is subconscious. I don't think men are aware of it of power. They're trying to establish dominance in some way. What is it that I'm smarter than you about? What is it that I can be the alpha in this uh, alpha beta uh, issue? And I can't stand that. And, uh, you know, I've spoken in the past about, you know, why do I have to be less so you can feel like more? Is that for women, we don't really function in that way we function more in a circle. Uh, when women come together, they don't, sorry, dogs are moving. Uh, when we meet a stranger or we're within a group, nobody really wants to be the leader. Uh, usually uh, it's by default or, you know, you might have a dominant personality take over, but nobody tells them or fights them for that leadership position because, you know, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and uh, we're used to being compliant and we want to get along and it's important that other people like us. And 
uh, we don't want to stand out and well, we might be wrong. But, you know, when women come together, we start talking about things in ways to find common ground. We're looking for connections, whether uh, which it seems to be what the theme is you know, I've noticed in these last two couple of decades is uh, sharing our traumas. You know, people seem to lead, women seem to lead with sharing their traumas. <gasps> oh, that happened to me. Oh, that happened to me. And, uh, you know, why we're having that conversation, you know, in the first meeting is fascinating, but it's a pattern, you know, I've noticed that comes out and, uh, and I'm noticing, you know, women say, oh yeah, you know, people always tell me everything. And I'm thinking, well, that can't be true, right? Uh, I think, you know, we're desperate to be seen and we're desperate to be heard and we're trying to find a way to connect. So we're oversharing. Uh, I know some people say, well, that's a trauma symptom. I don't know if that's a trauma symptom as much as it is this desperate need to connect in a world that's very disconnected. You know, in the olden days in a small town, you just saw the same people over. I've talked to my mom about this. You don't have to keep telling your story because you've known these people your whole life. So you're not starting from scratch. And because we move around so much and there's so many first encounters, we're constantly having to start our story over and over and again. So I think we're oversharing because we're desperate to connect and and have a comfort in that connection. And so it's a very different experience. You know, women is more of a circle. Uh, you know, men, it's more of a hierarchy. And in the wired for danger world, hierarchy works very well. In the women's world of the circle, wired for danger does not work well at all. Uh, and I haven't done the romance conversation between Wire for Danger men and women because uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it's just my speculation. I don't have any data to support any of these things. I'm still learning about this stuff and listening through this filter that has never been talked about before. So all of this that I'm sharing with you isn't, I haven't found it anywhere. There's no research. There's no data. There's just speculation, but I'm starting to hear these stories emerge in a new way because the Wire for Danger men are in public, are sharing personal stuff, whereas it used to be just about the feats accomplished. Uh, you know, I can hear it in women's stories because they talk about their childhood and they talk about their exploits and they talk about their relationships. And I can see you know, where the, the characteristics of Wire for Danger are. So I'm starting to see this pattern. And uh, so I'm gaining a lot of confidence that I'm not crazy, that I'm onto something, but I'm feeling the split widen between the male and the female because there's a clear path for this for men, but there isn't a clear path for women. And, you know, you've heard me say over and over, you know, I just want to be a girl because I'm struggling, you know, with this feminine part. And I can't find anybody that's a role model. Like I could not tell you one woman that I think understands what I'm speaking to out in the world. Maybe they're out there. I haven't found them. And I'm frustrated and so I've been sort of uh, flapping around, you know, like, I don't know what to do. And I can't shift out of all this masculine energy. And I want to shift out of this masculine energy. And uh, as long as I'm in survival mode, I can't. And 
And so much of what women's experience is, you know, getting married and having children, I've never done. So I can't relate to women in that way. And, and you know, I had this epiphany yesterday where, uh, you know, I've only ever had one dog. I've never had more than one dog. And, uh, and I am overly responsible. So, you know, like many of us, I, I put my responsibilities in front and I don't have a partner, you know, I don't have somebody cooking and cleaning and taking, you know, washing and doing all these other things so I can just sit in my office and create and, uh, you know, write and things like that. And so, uh, you know, I'm juggling and my brain doesn't do that well. And so I'm struggling. And the uh, I was just trying to stretch yesterday because I have a lot of pain on my left side, most of it caused by the girl dog who pulls, which by the way, I finally figured out how to make her stop pulling, but there's a lot of damage in there and it's not a hundred percent. She still pulls on me. So all I needed was like an hour and she's in the cage whining and the whine uh, uh, means two things. One is I'm going to go to the bathroom someplace you don't want me to, or I am demanding that I be entertained. So I never know which one it is. And so I don't want her to go on the, the, carpet that I have in the cage for them and the cage is fragile because remember it fell out of my truck and it's broken and the ground is rocky so I can't uh, stake it you know and secure it at all and so she's found out how to push the doors open and you know the coyote is running around so I can't let them loose and so there's a lot of things going on because I'm responsible and I have to keep them contained and I have to watch them well I can't get up every five minutes and accomplish my stretch and so uh, I was just, you know, that was sort of like the camel or the straw that broke the camel's back. And I had this moment where I'm like, I hate this. Like, this is the closest thing I've ever been to having a mother experience because I've got these two dogs, you know, that are literally pulling me in opposite directions at the same time. I can't juggle them and get my stuff done. And I'm like, I don't like this. And I never wanted children. You know, I didn't care about being married. I never wanted children because I knew I would be terrible at it. And especially in my 20s, you know, I was insane. My brain was on fire. Uh, I had no patience. Uh, you know, I'm sure I would have been in jail for abusing them. And, you know, I've calmed down quite a bit so I can do this without anybody getting hurt. But I still hate it. I don't want to be a girl I don't want to be a mom. I don't want to be a wife because I don't want to be in a hierarchy. I One of the reasons I can't be in a relationship is because it's always hierarchical. And I, I know there are exceptions. I know there's uh, people who find partnership. I saw that in the ranching community because there was real partnership and respect for both the man and the woman. But pretty much it's a hierarchy. There's one person leading and another person following. And I don't like that. And I don't want to be a mom because I don't want to have to put myself in a position where my life is about taking care of somebody else. And we're in this moment where I'm seeing a resurgence of this decision that patriarchy is the way forward and women need to be at home with their wi as wives and children. And 
if you are wired for danger and history is full of these women, we don't do well in that role. And all the interesting women in history, most, many, are wired for danger women who did not get married and have children. But the only reason they were able to break out was because they had good men, mostly, mostly in their corner. They either gave them the education or were able to financially support them or encouragement or exposure uh, to ideas and, and supported and, and helped foster that internal growth. Uh, because men were the only people that had permission to go out in the world and do something besides being, you know, a spouse and a parent. And there's nothing wrong with being a spouse and a parent. It's the most important role I think men or women can have is the creation of a child, forming a union and raising those kids. But not everybody is born to be a spouse and a parent. And I started this conversation with these two really intense points of focus and these energies. And, and, you know, now that I've had the ability to experience them, I understand that there's other things going on in the world and our experience as humans, spirits first, human second, right? Is that there's a lot of things happening and there's a lot of things happening now. And we're at this ending of a cycle. And, you know, we've had so much tumult, upheaval, questions, uncertainty about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. And we don't have a place that we've settled yet. Uh, We have a lot of angry women. Uh, We have a lot of insecure men. We have a lot of confusion. Uh, We have wild cultural differences. Uh, We have a very incorrect view of history. Uh, We have a lot of science to support the the differences between men and women. Uh, But we don't have respect. And I think, you know, one of the most powerful things that happened was when I finally understood that men view respect as love. Uh, Women don't. But I, at the end of the day, would choose respect over love. Because for me, love just is. I don't need another person to connect to, to feel that love. To me, that's a constant. It's not attached to a person. But respect is the human experience. To me, love is the divine. It's God. It's non-physical. It's spirit. It's absolute. I don't need any help with that over there. But for me, the human part understands this idea of respect. And I think within the wired for danger brain, the measurement is the battle in the arena of respect. And I heard the story of a woman, Frances Glessner Lee. You may or may not know her. She is a very uh, interesting person and came to, uh, she was prominent, uh, in the, I think she was born in 1931 and her contribution to the world, you know, she got married and she had kids, but she was born into a family with a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. They, she was exposed to all kinds of things. Her parents exposed her and her brother to just 
anything they wanted to know about, any skill, any hobby, everything was at their fingers. They had so much money, they could do whatever they want. And she, through a series of events in her 50s, after her kids were gone and, you know, she had been, she was no longer married, uh, she got connected with what at the time was called uh, legal medicine. So we know that as forensics. She was the originator. She pushed the world into forensic medicine. She took all her money and she uh, promised Harvard a lot of it if they would establish a school of forensic medicine, uh, legal medicine. And you know, and the story is, is she did all this work. She fought against all this injustice. She fought the boys club. She, she used money as the lure. She created these, these models. Of, she was so good at creating miniature models of microscopic detail. I mean, she would hire uh, symphony orchestra directors to write the sheet music for her little tiny model. Uh, she would hire carpenters. They would actually make nails to scale out of wire because there was no real nails. It Her level of detail, she was probably not wire for danger knowing the amount of detail she was in, but she was probably semi-autistic because she was so hyper-focused on this one thing that she pushed it forward. She created the beginning. I mean, she was responsible for the push of the beginning of forensic medicine. And she knew when she died that it would probably dissolve. Now she tried really hard to put in fail safes, but exactly as she predicted, when she died, Harvard took apart the program, took away all her materials. They, they let these amazing models go to ruin because she was just that crazy old woman. And she actually looked like Mrs. Santa Claus. I mean, she was really looked like you would imagine Mrs. Santa Claus would look. So she had all this push. She had all this money. She had all these ideas. She had all this energy. But because she was pushing into the male hierarchy, it was more important that they dismiss her as her versus respect the content of the information. And we repeat this pattern over and over and over again. And, and men probably have no idea what I'm talking about. And women are like, I know. You know, when I was growing up, there was this joke about how if you were in business and you were in a room full of men that, you know, you would get to the idea in like 10 minutes. But if you didn't write it on the chalkboard, if you just said it out loud, everybody would dismiss you. An hour later, the men would get to the same idea and congratulate themselves on what a good job they did. And the joke was, if you'd written it on the chalkboard, you could point it out and say, yeah, I told you that 50 minutes ago. And, and it's not right or wrong. It's the way we move in the world. Uh, when I was at McDonnell Douglas, I was in the uh, communications department at one point. I was actually in management, but it was all women. It was fascinating. Uh, and they still had some hierarchy, but it was a whole different subculture. But in the uh, employee communications department, I had access to high-level management, which was all men. And one of the, my boss's boss was an ex-fighter pilot, 
very probably wired for danger. I didn't know any of this then, and I was still young. I was in my early 20s. And uh, and I, at some point, you know, in my not understanding my role in the world, uh, I got mad. I went into his office, and I said, we are employee communications. Why are we not communicating? Well, when the first round of layoffs came through, I was the first one to go. Now, the plus side was I was the only one that got paid for two months and didn't have to work. Eventually, the whole department, I would have lost my job anyways. I just got a two-month vacation. But what I learned was the vice president, who was a British guy of marketing, uh, and I don't know what conversation this was, but I shared an office with a guy who had access to these guys too. And he told me that, you know, I got fired because I was too aggressive meaning I was a challenge to the hierarchy. I didn't know my place as a woman. This was, you know, back in the 80s. So the the marketing director said, no, she was being assertive. If she had been a man, that never would have happened. And he recognized that. And that was such a good piece of information for me. And And I've done nothing, you know, but ram my head against walls because I understand that Men don't like to be challenged within the hierarchy. It's important for them to have alpha status, and especially in relationship to women, especially wired for danger men. Doesn't mean they don't love you, but there's not that equal respect of you. And it's very difficult to be a wired for danger woman in the world because you don't fit in the wire for danger man's world and you don't fit in the normal women's world and so you know i've been struggling all these years decades now like what does it mean to be the the feminine version of all of this of who i am because i don't fit anywhere and it's just been recently that i'm understanding that the reason that i can't find examples of who we as wire for danger women are in the world. It's not that we're not out having experiences. It's not that we're not having interesting stories. Uh, There is some, you know, deferential appreciation for some of our contributions over the course of history. But we have lived in hierarchy for so long. And, you know, why women are attracted to things like socialism and communism is there's the appearance of flattening that hierarchy to everybody gets an equal opportunity, which is very different than equity. And within every ism, socialism, capitalism, I mean, communism, fascism, there's a hierarchy. It's just that the top hierarchy is smaller and the lower people are bigger. And there's, you know, the awakening to that and then it all falls apart. So. We live in a hierarchical world right now. And I think what's shifting, at least within me, is this inability to, I'm not, I don't want either one. I don't want to be a girl that just sits around and defers. I don't want to be less so that you can feel more. Uh, But I also don't want to compete with my place within the hierarchy. And so we're in this crossroads of 
who we are as this tiny subgroup of Wired for Danger women who share as much with Wired for Danger men in terms of how much of our biology and our drive matches. And we share with women, you know, a pretty strong overlap between our heart and our feelings and our wanting to be of service and to help and to heal and to do good in the world. Uh, And there's sort of this thing in the middle that I haven't been able to find. And I just kept feeling like I was doing something wrong because I couldn't find it. And so it's just occurred to me recently that the reason I can't find it is we don't really have an example because the women who are wired for danger have been represented in our culture and our media as physically violent, as strong, as superheroes. And it's through physical dominance, it's through fear of our prowess that we establish a place in the hierarchy. And uh, I just had flipped onto this one story, which I can't even watch. It's called The Power, and it's all the women, I haven't finished it because I don't want to watch it, develop this power of electrical discharge in their hands and they can kill everybody. And so now the women are in charge because all the men are afraid of the women. And and that is not the world I want to live in. I don't want to live in a matriarchy. I don't want to live in a patriarchy. I don't want to live in any archy. Uh, I understand the need for hierarchy in context, but not at the exclusion of what is valuable. You know, one of my favorite conversations is when you talk to a man and you say, oh, uh, you know, they're they're like, well, you have representation in Congress. There's one woman, like there's 99 men senators and one woman senator, or there's, uh, and they see that as perfectly okay. But what if there were 99 women and one man? And there's not one guy that doesn't just like fall over and collapse at that idea. Although nowadays we're all so mixed up, who knows? But, but what, why is it so hard to understand that we want respect also. And and so I, I'm kind of entering this new place of, okay, I, I get these two polarities right now. Uh, what is the path forward? Because for me, the path forward for men is very clear, but they don't understand their biology. They don't understand how their car is being driven. You know, when you hear things like, Uh, you know, Laird Hamilton saying, well, we're all would be happy surfing a wave. Not true. Uh, We're all wired to be addicts. Not true. Uh, And so there's still a big chasm between how understanding what I'm talking about as wire for danger. But there's even a bigger chasm, I think, for we as women who are wired for danger and how we just don't have a clear path forward because there hasn't been one. You know, I heard, I don't remember if I read this or heard this or whatever. It's probably been 30 years. Uh, Once upon a time, it was a spiritual thing where they said that, you know, five, 6,000 years ago, women agreed to silence their voice, their fifth chakra. They closed their fifth chakra to allow men to step into the power position and we lost our voice. And, you know, when you look over the history of the last five or 6,000 years, we see that, you know, men have been leading, but 
the story was that we agreed as the feminine in this world to do that, to allow men to understand their role in places of power. And they, quote unquote, men haven't done any better than women leading because power is is what we're here to understand. But we don't. We're still looking at it in a hierarchical model or a circular model, and it needs to be a combination of both. And I feel like we're in this transition period because uh, we're in a moment where most of us would agree that we don't want to have other people telling us what to do. We We don't agree how to move forward from this. And, you know, there's two things that really have just ticked me in this process. You know, one is, you know, I'm seeing men dress up as women and moving into the women's lane. I'm a woman because I feel like a woman. And, And hormonally, I can understand they're all screwed up. Historically, there's always been some transgender confusion, but it's just so rare. And so what's happening now is very different. Men are moving into the women's space. At the same time, I'm seeing this battle cry from the patriarchal, uh, Christ, or religious, Christian, Islamic, whatever, uh, religious, religious institutions that women need to go home and start having babies and be at home. And they're just so happy at home being wives and mothers. You are maybe, but not as your one thing that you accomplished over your entire life. Uh, I won't tell you how many women I've done uh, interviews with as they age who are just depressed and lost because they never found any identity that was separate from their caretaker role. But I see these two converging energies between men trying to be women moving into our lane and then men trying to reestablish themselves within the hierarchy moving into our lane. And our lane is getting very narrow as women. And it's feeling like maybe this is where the Wired for Danger women need to step into and push back on what is our lane. Because we're being crushed and corralled on both sides. And I don't want to live in either world. I don't want to live in a leftist world where men are women and women are men. Not happy there. I don't want to live in a right-wing world where women are supposed to go home. Or you're, you're, you can be a scientist. You can be a, a soldier. But we're going. But it's dismissive. There's no respect there. And there's just an underlying anger that you're taking our jobs. You're taking our roles. Right? So I don't have the answer. I just have this awareness as a woman that both there's pressure from both sides. And if we as women don't start saying, wait a minute, it's our job to say no, to set boundaries, to heal, to decide who we want to be moving forward, we're going to get lost in this post cycle recreation. Uh, And so if we don't take that on, if we don't seek to understand where we want to go next, if we don't start planting those seeds as ideas and stories and energy, we're going to get overrun again. And this next cycle is not going to be great. 
And it's not good for men or women. There's no value in being oppressive. Uh, there's no value in in being compliant. There's no value uh, in being less than who you are. And, you know, I started this conversation with these two intense energies of truth as power when you move into that moment and the love of God, which is overwhelmingly clear and total. And, and most of life isn't in either one of those places. But once you've touched those places, once you've experienced those places, everything else seems kind of like a waste of time. But I believe that's the work of human and spirit is to make peace with both those places as process. And we do it as men and we do it as women in different ways. But this tiny group of us, these Wire for Danger, we have so much overlap, it's been very confusing to me. But I'm starting to see the clarity of, of the division of those roles and how most of us as Wire for Danger women have been swept up in the masculine way of being out in the world and expressing what you know we don't really have words for because it's never been talked about in this way. And and as I've gotten older and had more experience and as things have changed so drastically around me, you know, I'm understanding things in a new way. And so we're, I'm at the very beginning of this. We are at the very beginning of this. There is no perfect. There's just evolution and expansion and failure and curiosity and this works and that doesn't work. It's that want, don't want thing. The sorting out of what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. But, you know, what I know to my core is I don't want to be in the hierarchy because uh, I have no desire to get into pissing contests with men about being right or stronger or whatever. I don't need to do that because I don't care. I'm happy to ask for directions if I'm lost. I've got no problem asking for directions. I've got no problem saying I'm wrong. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I'm also not like the other women. I just don't care about uh, being a mom and a wife in the same way that women want those things. I have no need to be that. And I know I'm not the only one. And so I've got to believe there's a place for us and a way for us and a reason for us. Uh, and I'm starting to see what that is, is the strength to say, no, back the F up. Get out of my lane. Because most women aren't going to do that until you've pushed and pushed and pushed and they're exploding. You put up, you put up, you put up, and then you explode. Instead of doing that, how do we do it with great power and love, great calmness and focus and positive loving intentions, but with powerful firmness? No, this is my lane. Get out of my lane. Like I remember my, and this is getting really long, sorry. I remember my uh, defining moment when I was reading this first book that kind of woke me up to a lot of things. And at the end of it, it was so heavy intellectual. I mean, I could barely read it. Uh, but at some point, you know, the summary I took away was about Christianity and the oppression of women and was, why is this man in a dress standing in front of me? It was a priest telling me how to be a woman. I could just never reconcile that. And that's sort of the crystallization of where I am here. I don't know, 40 years later, why, is men, why are men in dresses? 
pushing me out of my role and the men in pants telling me I need to go home and be in a dress. I mean, we can't win in this battle. And I think if we don't stand up as women and find our place in this new way, we're going to end up someplace none of us really want to be. So uh, with that, this is a long podcast. Who knows who's even still here? Uh, I am still postulating and thinking and wondering, but I, I really am feeling confident that I am clarifying something that's happening. Uh, and so thank you for taking this journey with me. Uh, I realize this is kind of a push thing, uh, a shifting thing, and I'm not pushing men out, but one of the best ways I've learned about myself is to understand who I am not. And that has been a lot of time listening and trying to understand men. What I don't see and hear is men trying to do the same thing. And I think that's been sort of this aha moment that, you know, there isn't the same respect. I'm trying to respect you as men, as the masculine energy by understanding its value in the world I'm not hearing the same thing come back. So we're in a crisis pivotal moment here. I'm just one tiny player who's like, you know, fighting the elements and struggling with dogs. So I understand I'm not a powerful force in the world, but I think this is a very powerful idea. So we'll see what happens next, but deep breath, my friends, and I will see you next time.